Hello and welcome to Ask the Expert, a daily series from 8.30 to 9am to help small businesses. Ask any questions in the comments or use the hashtag QBATE on Twitter and the guys will curate the questions for me to answer for you. Now, if you need any more advice, please join the official Intuit QuickBooks SMB community group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. QuickBooks also have a dedicated COVID-19 information site. Just go to QuickBooks website, scroll down a little bit and click on the big learn more button under the header, support for you and your business during COVID-19. So, Thank you for joining me. For those who don't know me, I'm Carl Reader. I've been asked to um, share with you a little bit about my story and um, some tips that I've learned along the way, and then to field your questions. So feel free, again, using that hashtag QBATE to ask me whatever you would like. Now, you will see that I've been asked to speak here as a serial entrepreneur, but I certainly didn't start out with any intention of being a serial entrepreneur. In fact, um, you know, certainly when I was at school, I had no idea what an entrepreneur was. In fact, when I was at school, I just thought that business wasn't for people like me. I was blessed to have a grammar school education, but I didn't really understand through the um, complicated subjects that were raised in business studies what business was all about. So I left school as, um, I guess, as most people do, but actually it was before my GCSEs and I had to work out what I was going to do for myself. So, you know, I took on a part-time job at a supermarket and I ended up landing into the world of accountancy. Now, it wasn't by choice or by design. As I say, I'd left school before my GCSEs. Um, I had no idea what an accountant did, let alone what an accountancy firm's clients would do. And I, I soon found out that it was pretty boring and I wasn't really cut out for it. In fact, I, I think it's safe to say that I was the world's worst accountant. But what I really enjoyed was the opportunity to go out to meet the business owners and to ask them, why do you do this? Why do you do that? You know, to be the person who asks for really simple and annoying questions. And before long, I'd spoken to thousands of business owners and accumulated the knowledge and the experience of these thousands of businesses. And it enabled me to actually turn the corner and sit on the other side of the table. So rather than being the annoying junior accountant asking, why do you do this? Why do you do that? I would have business owners saying, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I was able to help them based on not only what I'd seen that they'd done in their business and other businesses, but also what I'd done in my business. Fast forward a bit of a way, I had um, be become involved in a management buyout of a business. I'd then been involved in starting up new businesses, investing in businesses, um, exiting from businesses. I've been involved in advising businesses on fundraising and again on starting, growing, exiting. So I, I've kind of sat on all sides of a table. Where I sit at the moment is I serve as chairman of DNT. I serve as um, a brand ambassador for a few different brands, um, helping them to communicate with small business audience. And one of my passions is communicating business advice in plain and simple English. So you'll see behind me that I've written two books, The Startup Coach and The Franchising Handbook. Uh, they were released in 2015, 2016, respectively. I've got a new book called Boss It, which is released for, uh, is due for global release in October 2020. 
Um, I'm involved in running a small business community on Facebook. You can search it with the hashtag Bossit Small Business Community. And I write columns for the national papers. I appear as an expert commentator on radio and TV. And what I try to do is make people realize that business isn't complicated. Now, don't get me wrong, it's hard work, but it's not complicated. And my belief is that there are too many people out there who have a vested interest in overcomplicating business so that they can sell a very expensive solution um, or so they can make themselves appear more clever. Now, the reality of business is that business is really, really simple at its fundamentals. Business is about taking a fiver and selling it for a tenner. Business is about taking a product, adding a layer of value and selling that package. That's all business is. So when I was younger and I used to go out um, washing cars, for example, you know, I would um, wash cars around my estate. I would buy lemonade um, from the local shop and split it into cups and sell them for more than, you know, than the total bottle costs. What I was doing was adding a level of value. I didn't realize that. I didn't understand it at the time of doing it. But that was what I was doing. And that's what all businesses do. But we sometimes get distracted by the outside world, what's going on beyond our control. We get distracted by stuff that we think we need to be doing. But actually, if we work hard, we focus on what we're doing, and we remember that business is simple but hard work, we can tend to get to where we need to get to. Now, the coronavirus situation, and situation is probably a really light way of describing it has caused many businesses to have a, um, a fundamental look at the way they do things and what they're going to be doing going forwards. It's been a catalyst for change for many businesses. I've seen some inspirational stories of businesses pivoting from being a premises-based um, service to an online service. I've seen um, group tuition classes and group fitness classes moving to Zoom calls or online learning platforms. I've seen all kinds of um, pivots and they've been phenomenal. Um, but for many businesses, even if you've been able to carry on trading, there have been fundamental difficulties. You might not have had to shut your doors, but the likelihood is that if you've got staff, you might have had to consider whether to furlough them. If you've got customers, you might have worried about whether they're going to pay you. And if you've got suppliers, you might have worried about whether you can pay them. So what I'm seeing at the moment is that we're headed for a point in time over the next month or so where businesses of all shapes and sizes need to really think about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and the way that they attack the next few years. And I believe it comes down to a very simple three-step process, restart, rebuild, and flourish. We need as business owners, to put on our startup hats again. We need to bring ourselves back to the blank canvas, and we need to look at remodeling and re-engineering our business, regardless of how simple it is, to fit the new world. Because one thing's for sure, the coronavirus hasn't just been an economic impact. Because we're often guilty in business of thinking about the money, thinking about the stats, it's had a public health impact, first and foremost. There has been significant deaths. There's been significant heartache globally. This has changed the way that we as consumers, we as workers, we as family people, we as individuals, we as friends. It's changed the way that we view the world. It's changed our own priorities. 
It's changed what we focus on. It's changed on what we want to get from life. And it's changed who we would like to buy things from. So we need to make sure that our business is fit for the future when it comes to customer demand. Secondly, it's changed the way that businesses deliver their services. So we can look at supermarkets adopting um, online deliveries as standard now rather than people going into the shops. We can look at online learning probably being a fundamental part of our kids' education going forwards. Um, So the delivery mechanism has changed as well. You've got those two changes. You then add on to that the challenges around financing that are likely to come, the economic challenges that we're going to see, all of this stuff. And it's the prime time to sit back and reflect and become a startup again. And when you're a startup, there's a very simple process that you need to go through. And this is it. You just need to dream, plan, do, review. It's the simple four steps that I cover in my book. You need to make sure that your dream is big enough to keep you motivated, but it's not too big to put you off. You need to plan effectively. We all hear about business plans. I'm not necessarily talking about a formal, rigid business plan, but you need to have a a plan to attack. You need to do, you need to actually take action, and then you need to review. You need to have strong management skills in going back and checking that it's all happened. Now, I provide that model for um, new businesses as a very simple way to start the process. But I also warn businesses that that model is cyclical and that you need to keep going through it. Never has there been a more important time to observe the dream, plan, do, review, to make sure that you're ticking all of the boxes than now. Because as I said, businesses all need to look at restarting, rebuilding, and flourishing. So guys, that's my intro about myself and the snippets of what I've seen so far. I'm now going to dive into some of the questions. I can see that we've had some come through already. And the first one I'm going to take is from... Owen. So Owen has sent us a message through Twitter. Owen, thank you so much. And Owen's message is, hello, Carl. What can small businesses be doing to help other small businesses as we all go through the transition of opening up and going back to work? So that's a wonderful question. And I've got a um, a blatantly promotional answer to that. But I've also um, got some general tips. And my blatantly promotional answer to that is... I think the biggest thing that small businesses can do is to engage with each other, is to speak to each other, is to communicate, to share best practice and to share experience. So that is exactly why I set up the Bossit Facebook group. It's completely free of charge. It's not one of these memberships and there's no hidden sales or hidden e-learning courses or anything like that. Um, I was... Quite bluntly, I was sick and tired of seeing people trying to monetize what actually should be free of charge. Um, So I do it in my spare time alongside the um, community managers. But I think that perhaps the biggest thing that small businesses can be doing, rather than just sharing peer-to-peer support, I think that a strong thing that all business owners could be doing, Owen, is sharing vulnerability as well as sharing the answer. because. There's a real unspoken challenge in business, which is the mental health of business owners. And we all have mental health in the same way that we have physical health. But there's something about entrepreneurs and business owners. They like to bottle it up and not share it. And I think that perhaps one of the biggest things that small businesses can do to help other small businesses is to share their own challenges, um, both emotionally and within their business, 
and to be open about sharing when they're having a bad day or if they feel they're hitting burnout or they're hitting a brick wall and don't know which way to turn next. Because they say a problem shared is a problem halved. But actually in business, I think it goes a little bit beyond that. Um, most of us would love to have a management board of, uh, you know, maybe the likes of Alan Sugar, Richard Branson, or, um, you know, we might want uh, politicians like Barack Obama, or you, know, you, you might want to, to fill a non-exec board full of inspirational people who've achieved great things and who can help shape your thinking. But none of us can afford to do that in reality. So the next best thing is to have a board that you can't afford in a small business community and actually use them rather than feeling that you need to have all of the answers and be the clever one that provides the answers to the questions, be the one asking the questions. Because if you've got a question, I can guarantee somebody else has got the same question. So Owen, I really do hope that helps answer. I think that what we can all be doing is supporting each other, being there for us. And of course, Perhaps the most obvious thing that I've avoided, but it's not really advisory, spend our pennies in small businesses. I think that we've all been supported over lockdown by the local businesses. I know certainly for us, uh, I look at my household and we went from shopping at Tesco's to the local butchers and the local farm shop. It was a little bit more expensive, but we didn't have to queue up outside and they had the stock. We need to make sure that we continue acting in that way. We need to make sure that we, as small business owners, support other small business owners and that we make our buying decisions in the way that we hope our customers do. If we do that, we'll keep the small business economy thriving. We know that it's certainly the UK, there's a there's 5.9 million businesses and 99% of them are small businesses. Small businesses are the biggest employer um, in terms of employment numbers. They provide a substantial slab of the country's GDP. We need to make sure that we support small businesses if we are small businesses ourselves. So Owen, I hope that answers your question. Now, Vicky, uh, we've had a message from Vicky again by Twitter DM. Okay, so Vicky asks, I have predominantly a single client business as everyone else I pitch to has a lot less budget. What is the best way to expand my client base so I'm not seen as a freelancer? and actually as an actual business. Okay, so um, an interesting question, and please allow me to um, first share, I, I guess, my contention to the wording of your question, and it's not to pull it apart, but being a freelancer is being an actual business. Um, in my opinion, there is no such thing as a proper business and not a proper business. I think it's really important that we understand that, yes, there is a difference between self-employment and business ownership. But that difference isn't down to the number of customers that you have. The difference is down to mindset. So somebody who's self-employed, I tend to use the um, Robert Kiyosaki definition. So Robert Kiyosaki wrote a fantastic book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he talked about the differences between the employed and the self-employed and the business owner and the investor. The employed and the self-employed, he sees as having one source of income. Now, that one source of income could come from 100 different customers. What he means by self-employed is when it's the individual doing the work themselves. And a business owner, he sees as somebody who leverages other people's time, other people's money to create further reward. So that's the difference. And the fundamental difference between those being 
if you as a business owner get run over by a bus and it decimates the business, that means that you're actually self-employed. So I, I think there's, there is nothing wrong, first of all, with being a freelancer. And secondly, there's nothing wrong with only having one customer rather than two, three, four, apart from um, when you get down to the nub of the business risk, the risk of losing that one customer. So I, I think my first answer to your question would be to, to really evaluate, Vicky, why you want to expand your client base. Is it to de-risk? Is it to um, diversify? Or is it to truly grow and employ people to do the work for you? Um, once you've worked that out, it will help you understand how to expand it. Because expanding a self-employed business that might have 100 customers is going to be very personal based. It's going to be based about on what you can bring to the table, but it's also limited by the number of hours that you have in the day and the number of clients you can reach. So when looking at that, I think that you need to consider some of the fundamentals of things like uh, the oversubscribe principle by a guy called Daniel Priestley. You need to look at making yourself a, um, a real personal brand within your industry and and somebody that people really want to work with. If you're looking at growing through taking on employees, it's completely different. And you can look at um, perhaps some more elaborate market, marketing processes. If I was to give you some very actionable takeaway steps that you can put into place right now, Vicky, I would be saying that you should be um, speaking to those that you feel you could offer a similar service to. Now, I don't know what services you offer. So let's imagine that you offer um, IT consultancy for a certain niche of businesses. Have you tried, it sounds very obvious, tracking down the individuals who make the recruitment decisions and speaking to them on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and so on through direct message? Uh, if you can't get through, send them a quick note, ask them to follow you, and, and just have that conversation. Even just interacting and coming up on their radar something you could be looking at doing. Uh, it's a little bit cheeky. You could be looking at paid Facebook ads about yourself and the work that you've done um, targeted to the employees of the companies that you want to work with. That, again, could be a very low-cost way of um, getting in front of these people and just building a bit of brand awareness around you. But as I say, there's two very different answers depending on whether you're trying to promote yourself as an individual or whether you're trying to um, actually set up a business. So I hope I've given you some snippets on building yourself as an individual. In terms of building as a business, um, why not come join our Facebook group? And I'm sure everyone would love to dive in and um, and give their experience on that as well. Now, Sally, um, Sally has messaged him through Facebook. I'm seeing a lot of questions being asked online, such as, if you were given £10,000 to pump into your business, how would you spend it? As we're a newly established online advertising agency with a funding budget to allocate, we'd really appreciate your take on this question. Uh, well, if you want to lend me 10 grand, Sally, um, you know where I am. But look, seriously, this is a question that's cropping up a lot at the moment, and particularly with the bounce back loan. Because what a lot of business owners have done is they've taken the bounce back loan as firstly a comfort blanket over the next few months, but secondly, as an opportunity to finally invest in the stuff that they know they should invest in, but they don't know what to invest in. So I think that it all depends on each business. The first thing that you need to do, if you've got a budget, and Sally, I appreciate reading between the lines on your message, this doesn't apply to you. 
But the first thing you need to do is to run a, um, a cash flow projection and make sure that you actually have the spare cash. If this is a part of money that you've taken and you've got, so you've got a potential cash flow dip um, due to coronavirus, you need to make sure that you've got that covered. The next step is you need to tread the very fine line between promoting your business and making sure that you've got the ability to service your business. Now, when I look at building a business and I look at the fundamentals of the systems, I always think of going backwards. So I start with the operations of the business. So I start with making sure that the bucket isn't leaky, but we can actually deliver the service. I then step up to the conversion process. And have we got the right process in place to convert a warm lead into a customer? And then I look at how do we get the customers? A lot of businesses, if they've got the money, they dive straight into how do we get the leads? They don't necessarily pay attention to the conversion process and the lead nurturing process and then pay attention to actually how do we service them. So I would be looking at allocating any budget in that order. First of all, patching up your internal operations, but it only needs to be a patch up. It doesn't need to be perfection. Um, trying to seek perfection at this stage would be like over-obsessing at the planning stage of the dream, plan, do, review model. It needs to be fit for purpose. It needs to be a viable product, but it doesn't need to be overreact. I would then look at where I can place the money to make sure that the customer experience is top-notch, um, whether it's through CRM systems, whether it's through recruiting the right people and so on. And then I'd be looking at filling the funnel. So it, it really then depends. You know, if we were to go down to specifics of how to spend that money, Sally, it depends on the business, who their customer is, where their customer is. You know, if I was, let's say I was targeting, I don't know, um, to use the coronavirus situation, if I was targeting 75, 80-year-old people who've been housebound for the last 12 weeks and targeting maybe an experience for them now that um, the restrictions are being lifted for them, which would be a very topical business, I probably wouldn't use online marketing. Do you know, there would be other ways of reaching them. Whereas if I was trying to target somebody like myself, I would be absolutely doubling down on um, online marketing. So there's a number of different ways that it can be done. But I think that the fundamental thought process of making sure that your cash flow is robust for the next few months, and then making sure that you um, you make sure you haven't got the leaky bucket and that you've got the customer experience now and then putting people towards you is a great way of just um, basing your thinking and making sure that you're ticking off the right boxes. So the next question, Josephine from Facebook Messenger. Josephine, thank you so much. Um, hi, Carl. I'm interested to know what you would define as being successful as. I know that there are different interpretations out there of what it is, but would love to hear your voice on it. Really amazing question. I personally don't feel I'm successful yet. And um, others might say I am, others might say I'm not. And if you're to ask anyone in business, I would say that probably 99% would say the same. Um, I personally like to revert to what's known as the wheel of life. So the wheel of life, if you haven't come across it, is a coaching methodology. Um, I believe it was created by the Mayer Group, but um, don't quote me on that. And if you can imagine a wheel, and around it, you've got, um, you've got financial, you've got spiritual, you've got physical health, you've got mental health, you've got relationship, you've got all aspects of what makes a successful life. 
and the contention around the wheel of life is that most people will be a seven or eight out of ten in some areas you know they'll be absolutely flying perhaps um in their career or um in their physical health but there'll be other areas where they're struggling they might have a two or three out of ten and the contention is that actually if you've got a smooth wheel even if it's five out of ten on all of them that's better than having 10 out of 10 on one and one out of 10 on the other that you can't you can't take pound coins to the grave you can't um, you can't get married to pound notes you there's there's a load of things that you need to make sure are balanced in life so for me my, my definition of success would be um achieving everything that you believe you can achieve um, which is actually known as self-actualization now again to go into another theory self-actualization is a principle from maslow and maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's effectively something that you can never reach it's doing the very best that you actually can um, so for me, what, what would I define as being successful? It's being rich and wealthy in all areas of life. Uh, so that's family, that's relationships, that's physical health, that's mental health. And, and also that just happens to be financial as well. Um, Suki, Suki, thank you so much. Um, Suki's messaging by Twitter. Um, and Suki says, hi, before COVID-19, I used to go to every meetup and exhibition possible that would help my recruitment business. Now that we can't network physically, how do you think we should do this effectively in a virtual world? So I believe that we always should have been networking in a virtual world as well as in a physical world. And I think that that will be the case going forwards as well. Look, this is whether it's a three-month blip, a six-month blip, a 12-month blip, this is just a blip. And we will go back to um, some form of normality. It might be a different normality, but we will go back, I'm sure, to meeting people face to face, to having a coffee and so on. Because my belief beforehand, and I was a prominent um, networker on social media and so on, is that social media and online networking is great for building and starting a relationship. And it's great for topping up a relationship, but it's not the entirety. Um, in fact, I believe that um, sitting down with somebody, um, looking into their eyes, having a, a cup of coffee or even a glass of wine or a meal with them is the way that you really connect. Um, it's the way that you get to know them as a person rather than them as a username and a profile picture. So I think that we will go back to it. But what can you do at the moment? Well, there's, there are virtual meetups and uh, virtual networking opportunities. So say we, we run um, what's called the Fortnite um, networking groups within the Bossit group, which you can come along and join. Um, you can use these forums to have a chat with everyone and um, get to know each other. But I, I think that the importance at the moment is rather than look at, uh, worrying too much about how you do it, I would instead say that you really need to focus on um, making sure that you stay present um, so that when face-to-face -face resumes, people remember you. You know, the very last thing, that, the very worst thing that you can do is to go silent over the next few months and then go back to a face-to-face -face networking event and realize that your competitors have built up cracking relationships with your customers. So I would make sure that you just keep those relationships topped up. Um, but the moment that you can get out there and see people, do it. Because as humans, we are social beings. We crave human-to-human -human contact. And I'm sure that we'll be back to it soon. 
And now the last question. So this is the last one, but we've got time for today. There's a lady called Chantelle, and that's from the Facebook live feed. So Chantelle, thank you so much. Chantelle has just asked uh, if there's anything special that I can recommend for you as a mobile hairdresser and beautician. You've done a lot in lockdown, but can always use help. Now, I apologize. This is going to be a really brief answer because we are um, heading towards the end. But what would I recommend for you, Chantelle? I would recommend, first of all, that clearly you need to invest in all of the PPE and making sure that your customers know that you are doing everything that you can. I would be looking at um, offering block bookings now, um, perhaps with a discount going forwards. I would be looking at um, how you can improve your booking processes as well so that you can minimize any downtime um, looking at investing in tools but can book your schedule um, i think it's acuity possibly there's there's a number of them out there that can help you really optimize it and minimize cancellations and most importantly go over and above make sure that you remember why people do business with you and um, people don't go to hairdressers or beauticians um, just for the treatment, they do it to feel loved. So that's something that you can do for them. So Chantal, I'm really, really sorry we're up against time, but I'm absolutely sure if you um, if you do some soul searching and really examine why people come to you, then you'll find your answer. So guys, this has been an absolute blast. I've enjoyed answering your questions. I will be back soon, I promise. But now, I, I need to wrap up. So listen, if there is any questions, please get in touch with the QuickBook support team there on Facebook. And also I'd urge you to join the Bossit Facebook group. You can come in there and it would be great to have a chat with you. And you know, I can give you a deep answer to the questions as well. So coming up on Ask the Expert tomorrow is Merle Calvert. Now Merle is the CEO and founder of Ferilio. Ferilio is an award-winning three-year-old tech startup in the business and legal services sector. Their mission, which has never been more real or relevant, is to ensure that no small business struggles or fails because they can't easily access key information and core materials that they need to succeed. So it's just a reminder, if you need any more advice, join the official Intuit's QuickBooks SMB community group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. Thank you and stay safe.